good morning. It's good to be in church. I was giving Pastor Brian a hard time earlier. He was talking about being cold in prayer. And I said, you're from New Jersey. How are you cold? <laughs> then I shook his hands and it was like he had been playing with ice cubes for the past. I'm like, I don't know what's, you need to get that circulation checked out. Uh, but hey, uh, good morning, church. It's good to see you here. If this is your first time here, maybe it's been a long time. My name's Josh. My wife, Brittany, and I serve as the lead pastors here. Uh, if this is your home church, let me just bring some exciting news. We just got a uh, word from our youth pastors, Pastor Stephen and Crimson, that baby Joel is here and healthy. So... Congrats to them. I, I say that so that everybody can stop asking, is he here yet? Is he here yet? Is he here yet? Um, I did make sure that was okay to announce. He said, yes, please. So uh, anyways, well, we are wrapping up our directional series uh, here at Greenville First. Uh, normally we would call these sermon series, but we really feel like God's given us some direction uh, for where we're going to be as a church, and that's that we want to be an all-in church. We want to say yes to everything God has for us. And uh, so we've been talking the past few weeks about what it looks like to live an all-in life. And so we started week one with, hey, an all-in life takes all-in faith, and then an all-in life takes all-in sacrifice, an all-in life takes all-in generosity, uh, which you saw some clips from the message last week if you weren't here. Uh, and then today we're talking about an all-in life takes all-in urgency. All-in urgency. And the bottom line for this series has been this. We must be all-in to be a part of all God wants to do in and through us. In order to be a part of everything God wants to do in and through us, we have to be all-in. Now, back in August, we did a series called Catch and Release. And... Uh, and it was kind of a, a, around this concept about how we're called to, to catch, to be fishers of men. And, uh, and I confessed during that series that uh, I am no fisherman at all. I can fish for men, uh, but I am not a fisherman. And, uh, and so this past week, I, I proved it. And, uh, and so I was, I was on a trip. Uh, I've been in a small group of pastors this uh, last year, and we've uh, had several gatherings, and so this was our final gathering of the year, and, uh, and it was surrounded around fishing. And I'm like, wonderful. <laughs> this is awesome. If you enjoy fishing, that's great. Um, I, I, I'll go ride in the boat with you. Like, that, that's all I got. And, uh, and so we were fly fishing at that, and, uh, and so uh, it was rather cold to be uh, floating down a river, uh, and uh, I, think, I think, well, one day we, we couldn't go fishing because it was 30 mile an hour winds and the wind chill was like 20, uh, and so it was uh, a little uncomfortable, but day one, I said, hey, I, I'm going to give this a shot, so I hop in the boat, and uh, about 20 minutes in, I'm like, okay, I'm good, and uh, <laughs> mind you, this is like a six hour float down the river, I'm like, I've given up 20 minutes in. And, uh, and so then we pull off for lunch and we get back in the boat and I'm like, okay, I'll do this again. And about 10 minutes in, cause my, my attention span was about 20 minutes with fishing, uh, about 10 minutes in, I feel a bite. And I don't know if you've ever been fly fishing, but it's, it's, it's a little tricky to set that, but I just set that baby. And, uh, and it was the first time, like I didn't hook myself in the process. Uh, and so I hooked a fish. I did. 
and uh, I began to, to strip the thing in. Yeah, don't, don't, don't clap for me. Uh, there's more to this story. Um, I stripped that thing in. You know, you're trying to constantly, you're like, the guy's like, okay, bring the pole over me. I'm like, ah, which way? Uh, and so I, I bring it over. The fish is splashing around. He reaches the net down, and he asks me the question, do you want to get a picture? Of course I do, so that I can tell everybody I'm a fisherman. And... Uh, so I, I, he says, okay, here's how you're going to grab hold of the fish. He says, you have to grab it here and here and hold tightly. And so uh, I got the picture. Because <laughs> let me tell you what happened next. I go to grab that fish, and that fish goes, whoop, right over the boat. I've never been made fun of by a fishing guide, but it happened on that day. He, he said, uh, Josh, I've, I've, I've never watched that happen before. <laughs> and, uh, and here's why I tell you that story. Because I think so many times what God has for us is right in the palm of our hands. And we miss the grip. We don't grab hold of it because we don't have the urgency to clamp down. And as fast as that fish jumped back into the water, so can our opportunity to participate in what God wants to do right here, right now. 2007, uh, Washington Post did a, uh, they did kind of this uh, experiment. And they took this guy who was a professional violinist and, uh, and they put him in the Washington, D.C. metro at rush hour. Now, this guy, you, and if you enjoy that thing and, and, and you're like, hey, I, I love going to listen to people play music, you would pay a lot of money to go watch him play his instrument. The violin he was playing, I, I think, was valued at the time at about $3 million that he's playing in the metro of D.C. at rush hour. They calculated that over a 1,000 people walked by him in a matter of an hour, and only seven individuals stopped to listen. And here's why I tell you this story, because I think that in this same moment, you had greatness in the presence of a lot of people, and there were a lot of people that missed out on what was happening in that moment. I don't want to be a church that misses out on what God's trying to do in the midst of chaos, in the midst of everything that's happening in this world. I want to be a church that grabs hold of everything God has for us and says, hey, we're going all in. That's why we've been so passionate about this series. That's why I, I feel I told last service, I said, I, I don't know if I'm preaching a little louder. I apologize if it comes off a little angrier, but this is just something that God has been stirring in me and we cannot do it alone, but we can do it together. And it's making the commitment to go all in. And so we're picking back up on this concept of all in life. We've been walking through this with, a guy named Abraham that in scripture really defines what it looks like to live an all-in life. And so week one, we kind of, we talked about what it looks like to have all-in faith. And so we, we watched as Abraham trusted God before he knew God. That's a concept for many of us that we, we can't even process because Abraham's family, they were worshiping other gods, but God spoke to him. God revealed himself to Abraham and he said, go and Abraham went. He had all in faith. And then we watched in week two is we talked about all in sacrifice and how Abraham trusted. God promised a son that would be the father of generations. Abraham would be the father of generations and nations. And 
What does he do? God asks for Isaac to be sacrificed, and Abraham trusts God enough to say, hey, I'm going to sacrifice whatever you have for me because I trust you, that you're providing even when I don't see it. And then last week we talked about how Abraham, he was known for his generosity that when he didn't even have anything in his hands, he was still giving it away. Why? Because he was all in. I'm not saying when you're all in, you don't wrestle with doubt and you don't have struggle and you don't, you don't wander sometimes or, or have difficulty, but you are just so committed, there's no knocking you off that course. You may get tripped up, you may slip a time or two, but you're pushing forward to say, hey, I'm going all in. And today we're wrapping up with this, this idea, this theme of, of being all in with urgency. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we hate when people do not share the same sense of urgency as we do. Like those people in the drive-thru line. I can tell who frequents the drive-thru line just by the little bit of laughter there. I still have not figured out how people do not realize what Chick-fil-A serves when they pull up to the drive-thru line. I mean, I, 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 I am a premature roll my window down kind of person. And then you begin to hear them and it's like, why are you asking what's on the number one? It comes with pickles. You know, I just kind of want to scream out the, the window and just answer all their questions. But oftentimes people pull up and they just don't, they don't have the urgency that I have in my vehicle with two kids trying to feed them and, and, and get to our destination. So if I could do anything to speed them up, I would, but I can't. I just become frustrated because they don't share that urgency with me. Or we go to the grocery store and we wish that the, the clerk at the grocery store shared the same sense of urgency for us to pick up our three items and exit the store. But you know, you look, there's like 17 of you in line and one clerk working. Conveniently, self-checkout is broken all four of them. And then that wonderful, sweet clerk is just, well, how's your day going? Boop. Now, how many kids do you have, sweetheart? Boop. I'm like, hey, can we set up a coffee date and get this thing rolling? Like, y'all can be friends somewhere else, just not here. I need to get out. I miss Brittany's uh, sermon on slowing down and or how about this? If you're a parent or a spouse in the room, you just wish your family shared your same sense of urgency when you're trying to get somewhere on time. <laughs> Some of you are really trying not to laugh because you're sitting beside the guilty culprit. But you think about this. Maybe it's your wife or your husband or your kids, but you're trying to just get out the door to try to be on time one, for once. And it's always... I'm not going to pick on anybody that's related to me right now, uh, but it's always, it's always somebody is just not moving at the pace. You know, having two kids, four and seven, oftentimes they're trying to pack for a week vacation and we're just trying, we're just going to church, guys. Now you don't need to bring every stuffed animal and device that you have, you know? Why is the suitcase coming out the door right now? I, I don't get it. What, what's happening? But when we don't share in the same urgency, there can be friction, there can be frustration, there can be impatience. 
And all I want is us to recognize that there are urgent matters at hand. When we begin to look at the things of God and the things that God's speaking to us and calling us to and the purpose that he's aligned us for in our church, we've got to realize that these are not a matter of just, well, we'll wait and see. No, it's a matter of urgency because it's a matter of life and death. So we're picking back up in this story of Abraham and we're going to hit on some keys in Abraham's story about having an all-in urgency. And the first point is this, is that all in urgency, it recognizes the need. All in urgency recognizes the need. And so here's what we find. We're kinda, we kind of jumped around in Abraham's life. And so in chapter 18 of Genesis, you find Abraham, he's not been, they have not, uh, Isaac has not been born yet. And so you have these three guys that show up to Abraham and, and Sarah. And if you're familiar with the story, this is where they look at them and they say, hey, a year from now, you're going to have a son. And Sarah laughs. And so we pick up and we're not going to go into that. There's a lot that we could go into in the life of Abraham there. But we're going to pick up in verse 16 of chapter 18 where we, this is just some context of the men that are, that are there with Abraham. So in verse 16, it says, when the men got up to leave, they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. And all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. By doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom. If you got your Bible, I want you to underline. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Abraham remained. This jumped off the pages at me, the fact that Abraham remained. Why? Because he saw what was at stake. Now the outcry that's talked about in this in this passage of scripture here coming from Sodom and Gomorrah is the same word that's used to describe the outcry of the Israelites that were in bondage in Egypt. And so what we can see in this this description, this language, this word, is that there was an outcry of people that were on the other end of the sinful acts that were taking place in Sodom and Gomorrah. People were crying for help. Now, I don't know about you, but if I hear somebody crying for help, my natural inclination is to stop and help them. If I'm in a store and I hear a little kid crying, help, I can't find my parents, help. Hopefully you are not the jerk that just walks on by. Maybe you are because you didn't even laugh at that this morning. There's something inside of us. If somebody, if you're at the lake, let's just do another example. You're at the lake and all of a sudden you see somebody splashing around in the water and they're crying, help, help. Hopefully you don't just cruise on by in your boat. Have a great day. 
There's something inside of us that should stop in that moment to have urgency to say, hey, I'm willing to help them. Because when people are in need of a rescue, there's something I believe is God created us that is in us to help other people. That's why one of our values is to make a difference because we were designed to make a difference. We were designed to help people. And here we find in this passage of scripture that there's an outcry. God's going to do something about it. And what's Abraham's response? Abraham remained. Now, when we look at this idea of urgency, I feel like there's two different types of urgency. There's an urgency of you're in your place of dwelling, you're in your home, and it catches fire. There is an urgency to escape what's taking place. Hopefully, you have some urgency if your house is on fire. Please get out. This is a service announcement. Please get out of your house if things are burning down. There's a natural urgency. Hey, I'm going to protect my life. If you have a family, you're getting your family. I'm going to protect our home and our family. And by home, I mean your family. Your home's burning at this point. Sorry, I just realized what I just said. Then there's another side of urgency that your neighbor's house is on fire. And maybe you hear those cries for help. And in you, you've got to determine in a split second what urgency is going, is going to drive you. Is it going to drive you to go fight the flames? Because you know the fire department, they may be on their way, but they're five minutes away and I can go and help. That's a whole different type of urgency of I'm urgent to protect my life or I'm urgent to help people. And when we talk about having an all-in urgency, I am not talking about having an urgency to self-preserve. Because I think there are a lot of churches, I'm just going to say this, I wasn't this direct in first service, but there are a lot of churches out there that are just trying to self-preserve. Hey, we like what we have. We don't want it to get messed up. We don't want it to get broken. We don't want people coming in here and messing with what we have. But can I tell you, there's an urgency because there are lost and broken people that are not going to meet Jesus on the other side of eternity if something does not happen. So you know what? I have an urgency because I see that there's a lot of burning buildings and we're called to go and rescue people. So when we begin to talk about an all-in urgency and an all-in life and we're looking into the future for our kids and our students and the, the babies that are being born or yet to be born, we're believing that God has given us a mission to not drop the ball because we're sending them into burning buildings on a constant basis. And what are we going to do with it? George Barna said this, in the race to a child's heart, the first one there wins. Chew on that one for a moment. In the race to a child's heart, the first one there wins. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with George Barna, but George Barna is a reputable research individual. He's got a company, Barna Research, and they do a ton of Christian studies out there. On the religious circles, this is the most notable researcher, and he has deduced from his studies in a race to a child's heart, the first one there wins. So you know what that means to me? that it's never too young to start pointing our children to Jesus, to making sure their eyes aren't focused on what's around them because the, the burning building is just getting hotter. It's just getting more chaotic. The rush hour is continuing to pace by and run and run and run, but we've got something special. Those seven individuals noticed that something special was there. I believe that God has called us to recognize that there is something special for us, and that's in Jesus Christ. 
that we can help the next generation keep their eyes focused where they need to be focused. See, Abraham didn't have to, but he chose to remain. See, I think there's a different response. Some of us, when we look at the need, we run away. But God wants us to remain. And when we live in this all-in urgency, there is no other response than to stay planted to where he has us. To stay committed to the mission and the cause. Hey, I don't care what everybody else is doing. God spoke this to us and for us. And bless God, we're going to be obedient. We're going to continue to press forward. It doesn't have to be popular. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be uh, measured by everybody else's standards. The only standard that I measure my life by is what God has spoken to me and what he's asked for me. And that's how we get to live all in. See, Abraham, he saw the fire and he chose to act. And that's our second point this morning is all in urgency acts timely. It acts timely. Picking up in verse 23, it says, Then Abraham approached him, speaking of God, and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? I, I just feel like this is a, this is a little amusing here how, how Abraham is speaking to God to convey his point and to get God to show mercy. And the Lord responds, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Now, if you're familiar with this passage, this is, I, I, I kind of I chuckle when I read through this. Because Abraham says, well, okay, you, you gave me 50. What about 45? Will you give me 45? I'll give you 45. What about 40? I'll give you 40. What about 30, God? I'll give you 30. What about 20? Hey, I'll give you 20. What about 10? I mean, we're stooping low here. A whole city, are there 10 righteous people? And the Lord answers, for the sake of 10 righteous people, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. Now, this is a bold move by Abraham to press God in this way. I've always seen auctions go up. I've never seen auctions come down. But this is, I just feel like Abraham's like, can I get a 40? Can I get a 40? You know, and he's just like, he's just auctioning with God and just lowering. Okay, we got a low standard. Things are good. Because this is a bold moment for Abraham. Why is he pressing God so hard? Because he sees the urgency. Because he's responding. He sees the need. He sees how wicked and evil Sodom and Gomorrah have been. And all he's looking and saying, maybe my boldness will intervene for Lot and his family, for my family's sake, for the generations to come. Maybe God will respond to my all-in life of saying, hey, this is urgent and I'm not going to press down and I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to plead with God for the sake of those who are lost. Now, I believe that in order to act with urgency, we have to be bold. One author said this, boldness is acting by the power of the Holy Spirit on an urgent conviction in the face of some threat. 
Boldness is acting by the power of the Holy Spirit on an urgent conviction in the face of some threat. If one of these ingredients is missing, we cannot fulfill a bold life. We can't take that boldness. Why? Because without sufficient conviction that something has to be done, what's there to be urgent about? Without sufficient courage... Think about this. We don't have enough fiber in our conviction to face anything that opposes us. That's why we, it's easier when we, don't, when we don't have sufficient courage, it's easy for us just to roll over. It's easy for us just to run away. It's easy for us just to back down. But when there's sufficient courage, we can have boldness and urgency to step up and handle the matters at hand. Without sufficient sense of urgency, we lack the fire under our feet to get us moving. We must have an all-in urgency. We have to be bold to act timely. So I think we have to ask this question, what can I do now? It's not that people aren't bringing action. It's that most of the time there's just no urgency with it. There's a lot of great churches There's a lot of great people. There's a lot of great organizations, but I want to align myself with people who see kingdom matters at hand, who say, hey, we're going to be urgent about this, and we're not stopping until we've done everything we can to reach everyone who's broken and lost and far from God so that they can meet their creator, to walk in relationship redeemed and made new because God is the ultimate majestic King of kings and Lord of lords, there is something for our eyes to be focused on him and not everything else this world has to offer. Those are the people, the churches, the organizations that I say, hey, let's link arms. Let's be urgent about this. Don't wait. I feel like we can get caught up in waiting for everything to line up perfectly before we choose to go all in, to be urgent. I read a lack of urgency to obey God is a common sign of compromise. Let's chew on that one for a little bit. A lack of urgency to obey God is a common sign of compromise. I don't want to be known as a a Christian who chose to compromise my faith and my commitment to God just because I didn't have urgency. Because I think when we truly understand our relationship and we're walking in relationship with God, we should be urgent that those around us have the same opportunity to walk in relationship with God. You know what? It starts with our babies. It starts with the next generation to say, hey, we're going to be fully committed, all in. And I know that there are hurdles to action here. I'd I'd be lying if I told you, yeah, it's it, breeze, just go all in. There's no hurdles to acting with urgency. But here's what I know. We passed out commitment cards two, three weeks ago. We've been talking about, hey, all in. We've given you some projects of what it looks like. And if this is your first time here, you're welcome to participate if God speaks to you. But you don't need to feel obligated. But what we've done is we've laid out and said, hey, God is speaking this to us. There's some urgency to it. We're going to be obedient. We're going to put it before the people. But I know some of the hurdles is we're real comfortable with where we are. I can't look and figure out how I can participate in that. Can I tell you, as Brittany and I, we've prayed, we've listened, we're being obedient. We've had to shift some budget stuff. How do I tell you to be all in and sacrifice and we're not choosing to sacrifice to be a part? 
But comfort can be a hurdle for us to get to where God wants us to go. We can be fearful that it may not work out the way that we thought it would. I think the greatest investment we can ever make is in the eternal. It's not here on earth. And here's what I know. We can opt out of participating just because we look and say, well, all those kids we send to camp or all the, all the students that went to youth convention, which, by the way, I'm glad you all made it to church today. It's awesome that they were, they were here in this room going all in. But here's what we know. I'm a dad. I'm not going to pick on our students. I'm going to pick on my boys. I have two boys, four and seven, and about four days a week, they're perfect. And the other three days, we pray really hard. <laughs> I'm kidding. They're probably, it's probably reversed, like three days perfect and four days weird. But here's what I know. They're four and seven. Their mistakes are running too fast through a restaurant. My youngest pulling his pants down at inappropriate times. But there's going to come a day that they're going to make decisions that I'm not thrilled with, that I'm disappointed. I, I would be foolish to think that they're going to be perfect and make every right decision. Why? Because Scripture says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So if we're afraid that our investment in the next generation may not return as much as we thought it should, it would be like me looking at my boys and saying, well, they're going to make some bad decisions one day. I, I just should stop raising them. I should stop investing in my boy. I should stop pushing them to love Jesus with all of their heart, their mind, their soul, and their strength. I should stop teaching them the ways of the Lord because they're going to make a mistake one day. You would all tell me I'm foolish because it would be foolish. So why would we? But it's a hurdle. Sometimes we say, well, I don't know what those kids are going to do if I send them to camp. They may find them a camp girlfriend. Well, bless God. <laughs> they're looking in the right place. That is by no means to condone dating and girlfriends in middle and high school. My boys, after college, will be good. i got to slow them down. Jensen's four, and he's already, he's already picked his wife. Shoo. See, we can be fearful of how these things turn out, and it can keep us from acting in a timely manner. But when we have all in urgency, we've got to act, and we've got to act now. There's a great need. But let me encourage you with this third point, is that all in urgency shows us that sometimes God is just waiting for us to take the first step. He isn't waiting for you to take every step. He's just waiting for you to take the first step. Think about this if you're a parent. We don't wait till our kids are running for state championships in cross country. Congratulations, by the way. We got some state champs in the room today. See, you didn't even know. I come to church and I get a shout out for state championships. Forget all the, your friends and family. Just your church family loves you. But we don't wait to celebrate their walking when they're winning trophies. We celebrate the first clumsy, wobbly step that they ever take. They're walking! And everybody's like videoing and, I mean, cameras are out. And, and they're just like running into furniture. You're just bubble wrapping everything. But you think about this. We celebrate the first step. Why? Because we know that that's never going to be possible if they don't take the first step. 
They're never going to be able to step into everything that, that, that is coming for them, that's laid out for them in life if they don't take the first step. And so we celebrate that. God wasn't waiting for Abraham to do every step. He was just, he was remembering Abraham because of one step. That he said, God, I'm going to plead with you because I've got family there. And if anybody's righteous, would you spare them? So we find in Genesis 19:29. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, because there wasn't even 10 righteous, if you didn't know the story, he remembered Abraham. And he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. God remembered that Abraham took a step. See, Abraham was burdened for Lot and his family. He remained with God because of what was at stake. He pleaded with God. And he took that step. Because of his urgency, Lot's family was saved. See, I think sometimes we minimize the outcome of our all-in commitment. For us to say, all, I'm going all in. That commitment, that step, that's why, we, that's why we've talked about a ladder and steps. We're not asking everybody to jump to the top. We're just asking, would you, would you take a step on the journey with us? And maybe, maybe you can't, and you're like, Pastor, I've looked, I've prayed, I, I just can't wrap my... Well, you know what you can do as a first step? Keep praying for the next generation. That's not to let you off the hook, but maybe that's a step for you. Every step that God's asking you to take that you say yes to, he's got you and there's more in store for you. Every step of faithfulness, every step of saying, hey, I'm going to have faith, I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to be generous, I'm going to have an urgency. God's got it. Can I tell you when it, when it came to this all in, there was a lot of struggle for me as a pastor. Because I look at everything. I look at the rush hour and I'm like, there's never a perfect time for us to ask people to step up and say, hey, let's be all in and let's do some stuff for the kingdom together. There's never a great time that it's like, oh, this just feels wonderful. Let's just do this. There's always challenges. There's always insecurities in our own mind. Of, there's, there's things where I look at this building it's beautiful, but you know what? It's, it's got some age to it. Every AC unit in this building is original to the building. We've been praying for those AC units for a long time. God, just keep them working. Praise God they made them a little different back then. But it's hard when God says, hey, I want you to go all in for the next generation. I'm like, but God... We've got great space, great facilities. What does this really mean? I want you to go all in for the next generation. But God, we've got sound boards that need to be replaced. We've got, we've got some, some, some electrical stuff we need to be doing. We've got this, we've got that. Go all in for the next generation. I mean, it, it, it has just been clear as day. Not, I can try to argue. I can try to bring all my, all my list to God of everything that we've got, why we should not. But when we say yes, when we take that step, God takes care of everything else. Back in late April, if you were here, you know, I told the story. We had a wonderful baptismal tank that was sitting up here. We'd set it up for baptisms. I come to check on it because it was the first time we'd used this tank on Saturday. And that thing had a pinhole leak that had leaked 
gallons of water all onto the stage. If you're ever on this side of the stage, no, we don't like duct tape on the stage. It's just holding it in place for a little bit. And no, the floor is not supposed to be rippled like that, but that's water damage that took place. So we've been working with our insurance company because who knew that leaky water baptismal tanks are insurance claims? Grateful for a board that sees better than I do on that stuff. So we file our claim and I'm thinking, okay, that's, I mean, this is, this is nice stage. There's some electrical work that needs to be done. Adjuster comes in and notices that there's some of the stain had leaked onto the carpet. Only God. He says, hey, we're not only going to have to fix this stage, we're also going to have to replace all the carpet in the auditorium. Oh, didn't see that coming. But God, we'll take it. They settle. They sent us a check for $96,000 to begin the work about a month ago. Yeah, I, I heard some of the gas. That's what I did when I, I'm like, praise God. We're getting some work done. I mean, it's by any means necessary, Lord. And if you work in the insurance company, I, I, it, it's great. We're grateful for you. But here's what took place next. In the midst of our all in, Brittany gets an email because she's our point of contact with insurance. She gets an email and I don't know the last time you made an insurance claim, this does not happen. They said, hey, you know, we've looked over your building. We're not just gonna do the floor, we're also gonna do the balcony too. So we're gonna send you another $50,000. Oh, and by the way, you're, you're probably gonna have to meet in another venue. So we're gonna give you $100,000 to rent and acquire the equipment that you need to have service in the other building. Just shy of $250,000. I got kind of excited because <laughs> here's what, when God speaks and we say yes and take the step, he says, hey, I got you. Stuff you've been stressing over, I've got you. Stuff that, that there's times where I feel the anxious thoughts rising up. God, what if all the units go out at once? I don't know. And God says, I've got you. If you'll just say, yes, I'm with you. I'm walking with you. And I don't tell you that not to participate in our miracle offering today. I tell you that to say, God is a God of miracles and whatever he's spoken to you, say yes and be obedient. But here's what the enemy would have you do. He wants you to look back. See, we look at the story of Lot, and I, I don't know how familiar you are. There's a lot in this. There's a lot in the Lot story, uh, but they get rescued from Sodom, and the one instruction was, "Don't, don't look back." And Lot's wife looks back at what was instead of where God was taking them and rescuing them. And it was that moment that she turns into a pillar of salt. Jesus reminds us in Luke 17, 32 through 33. He says, remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. When we choose to go all in, we're saying, God, I'm not trying to preserve my life. I'm trying to give my life wholly to you, whatever you're asking, wherever you're calling. I'm saying yes, and I'm not going to do it on my timeline. I'm going to be urgent about what you're asking me to do. So 
you've got to ask the question, what's holding you back? What's holding you back from going all in? What's holding you back from having urgency? See, God remembered Abraham because Abraham was all in. Abraham had taken steps. See, we have an opportunity to play a huge part in the rescue story of so many generations to come. I could tell you story after story about the work that God's doing even in our teenagers, in our kids' ministry, and what God's doing throughout the families of this church, which is not for the now. It's for the legacy that follows. But you may be here today and you hear me talking about urgency and all in and you're like, I don't even know. This almost sounds too good to be true. This, whatever your, your thought process is, because maybe you haven't taken that urgency to your own life. Say, hey, I'm going to be urgency about my relationship with my creator. Maybe you've been far from God for a long time. Maybe, maybe, maybe you've just been playing the church card or you've been playing the Christian card. And it's, and it's like I, I look at my life and there's no substance, there's no reality because I haven't been walking the way that I should, the way that God's called me to. But today's your opportunity to go all in, to say yes to Jesus. To say, God, I know I may have been far from you, but I'm ready to get my life right because you may feel far from God, but God's very near to you. Because he's loved you. He's never forsaken you. He's never given up on you. He's never walked away from you. He is with you. Will you say yes to him today? I'm going to ask every head to be bowed, every eye to be closed in the room. If you're here and you'd say, Pastor, I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to make that commitment. I need to go all in so that I can be made new. It's an easy question and it's a real easy answer because it's the best one you'll ever ask and answer. Are you ready? And the answer should be yes. So if you're here today and you just say, hey, I'm ready to give my life to Christ, will you just slip your hand up? In the room, the balcony. Yeah, I see that hand. Anybody else, you're ready to make that decision. You're saying yes to Jesus. I see that hand. Anybody else, you're ready to say yes to Jesus today. You're ready to be urgent about your eternity, about your relationship with Jesus. Can we just all repeat this prayer after me? Dear Jesus, Forgive me. Come into my life. Make me new. Help me to love you. Help me to follow you. Help me to love others. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Church, can we celebrate decisions being made today to be made new? Now, if you're here, whether you're online or you're in the room, we've got a number on the screen that you can text made new. We've got a little book. It's following Jesus book. You can text the number and we'll send you one. There's a little form you can fill out or you can stop by the Connection Center in the lobby or in the courtyard because our mission is to journey with you from where you are to where Jesus wants you to be. And our first step, our baby step for you is to put a resource in your hand that gives you some guidance for